Good evening, everybody. It's Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's listener-sponsored community radio. You're listening to it right now, Radio Orbit, 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. every Monday evening. And tonight, uh, we're doing it up the same as always, Okay. All right, it is about nine minutes after 11 p.m. on the 21st of August, 2006. And thanks for everyone uh, being here, okay? First of all, to Debbie Johnson, as always, Free Range Radio Theater from 10 p.m. until 11 every Monday night, setting this show up. Uh, Tech Radio, earlier in the evening. In between, Kelvin and Jason, jazz plus blues equals I don't know what. Jeff Wheeler does Uncommon Light from 3 until 5 p.m. every Monday. Wonderful, interesting music. And uh, interesting stuff every Monday on KOPN. So, it's Mike. It's Radio Orbit. Lizzie West getting things going for us tonight. 19 miles to Baghdad. Great stuff from Lizzie and Tony. Back in town in a few weeks. I actually spoke with uh, Lizzie and Tony Corraldo just this last week. And very excited for them to come back to town. They've got... Tremendous imagination, and they have a lot of great ideas and uh, things you're going to be bringing back with them to introduce to the people here of Columbia and Mid-Missouri. So we're fortunate to have them uh, in our gang here, and I really look forward to Lizzie and Tony getting back to town. That song, uh, 19 Miles to Baghdad, as I mentioned, and it is from their latest record called I Pledge Allegiance to Myself. All right, a big thanks to everyone who participated in the birthday show last week. Jay Widener, John Major Jenkins, The Bard, Kent Stedman, of course, uh, Star, Michael, Dr. Dennis, chiming in, Paul LaViolette, and everybody out there listening and those who joined us here at the station. A total blast. Had a great time. Played a bunch of cool music, and I thank you all for making this so much fun. I appreciate it. All right, if you missed the show, as always, it's up in the archives. All you got to do is get on the web, go to MikeHagan.com, and give us an email address, and uh, pick a username and a password, and you can have full access to the site, all the archives, all the music archives, some uh, interesting 
fun freebies that Larry and some musicians have made available for you. And uh, it's real simple. Just get on the web and go to MikeHagan.com, and you can uh, grab that stuff for yourself, download it, listen to it, share it with your friends, whatever. Okay? All right, tonight, time to catch up. Lots in the news. Need to do space weather. Haven't done that in a couple weeks. There's some interesting things in space weather tonight. Uh, I have a few personal things to share with you. We'll probably open the phone lines a little bit later and take some calls. Maybe take some questions from the chat room. Anyway, lots in store, so stick around, all right? And I'm going to throw something sweet here on for you and give myself a moment to get my act together. And then we'll come back and talk about other stuff, all right? It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. I'll be back in just a minute. In the meantime, here's a song from uh, my friends from Phoenix, Yachai, and uh, they made a wonderful little birthday uh, gift for me that I played last year or uh, last week on the air. Yeah, I guess it really was last year because now I'm starting sort of my third year, so we'll call it that. That wasn't really a linguistic error. So, anyway, all right, Yachai. The song is called Mama, and uh, you'll get the picture. Back in just a minute. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. Yeah. 
That's Yachai from Sweet Mother Mercy. That one's called Mama. All right, it's Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. This program is brought to you by listener support and a donation from Living Canvas. Living Canvas is a studio and gallery of body art, wall art, and more. It is a state-of-the-art facility with hospital sterilization. Living Canvas is handicapped accessible and a Wi-Fi spot. Male and female artists create their works at Living Canvas. Information is available in Columbia at 520 East Broadway or on the phone 442-TATS. That's 442-8287. All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's about 17 minutes after the hour of 11 p.m. on the 21st of August, 2006. Thanks to everyone for the nice emails that we've gotten over the last week. I appreciate it. As always, hello to everybody listening over the web, live or otherwise. We are streaming right now, live and every week, via Cosmic Waves Radio Network on the web at www.cosmicwavesradio.com. Just click on over there, and Channel 2 is what you're looking for. Uh, every Monday at 11 p.m. Thanks to all the girls and guys that make it happen for us over there live on the net at Cosmic Waves Radio. And you can link right over there, of course, from my homepage at MikeHagan.com. All right, thanks also to Larry, as always, the web wizard, as as uh, he does every week for us, amazing things on the website. And hello to all the registered users, all the new people that are showing up and getting involved. The forum being rebuilt. Lots of amazing stories being reported and discussed and then lost forever. <laughs> Not really. Uh, they won't be lost anymore. we got it figured out. So, anyway, get it uh, while you can. All right? Lots of people getting involved, and it's a lot of fun. So, thanks to those who are already participating, and uh, also to people who are out there sending art and music. Awesome. Send more, more, more. I have some new stuff to play tonight. Uh, a band called Astrolab from Britain. I'm going to play a song from them, I think. And if I have the courage, and I'm getting really daring, I'll play something from another band called Frequent Animation. Interesting music that I've been getting in the mail here. So, anyway, uh, thanks to Larry one more time for putting it all together on the web. And check it out. Let me know what you think of it at www.mikehagan.com. And I'd be interested in your thoughts. Okay. All right. We are also trying to establish and build a mailing list. So, if you go over to the site and register, which is, of course, free and uh, no big hassle, you can get a couple of cool freebies. Number one, uh, the guys from Yachai, who you just heard, uh, Jeff and William, they've agreed to make their entire CD, Sweet Mother Mercy, available for download for anybody who uh, joins us over at the website. And uh, speaking of those guys, they have a new project in the works, and we'll feature that on an upcoming show here. But it's a, I think the working title is The Insect Sessions. <laughs> anyway, so lots of good stuff if you go over to the website and join the gang. And I'd appreciate it if you do so, because I want to get to know the people that are listening to and enjoying the program. All right? 
All right, it's also the first few weeks, uh, or the first week in a few, I guess I should say, where we haven't had hacker issues. So I'm happy everything is back to normal. And I'd also like to thank, uh, in particular, another uh, new friend whose name is Paul, and he runs uh, a website called, well, I guess we just call it the Three Site Network. But he's providing a backup forum for us in the future to gather if anything serious ever happens again over at our site, and it's a great gesture, and I thank him for his generosity, and so we'll get a link up for the backup bulletin board, the backup forum, and you can bookmark that. And uh, if we ever have a problem over on ours again, you can peek in over at the backup and see. Hopefully, we'll have some information over there, okay? All right, look, uh, I've got a little bit of a cough, and I'm trying to get rid of it, so if I have to um, back off from the mic once or twice tonight, I apologize for it up front. I almost had to right there, so that's why I say this. So anyway, hopefully we can make it through without too much incident. And um, maybe I'll get some people involved on the phones in a little while so I don't have to talk so much. And that'll give me a break. All right? In the meantime, I will clear my throat <coughs> and uh, come back to you, okay? All right. If you want to get in touch, email address orbitradio at AOL.com. On the web, one more time, Mike Hagan, H-A-G-A-N.com. And the phone number here, if we open the lines a little bit later, write this down or uh, type it in your... Uh, Microsoft Word document that you have open on your computer where you're taking notes of everything that's happening tonight. And the uh, phone number is 573-443-8255. Now, there are some people, uh, as always, in the chat room, and none of them are local here. Well, maybe one of them is. Uh, but the others who are out there, wherever you are, you're welcome to try that phone number as well. The, the, the stream is a few seconds, maybe 30 seconds behind the live broadcast. But uh, when we open the phone lines, I'd love to take some calls from outside of our area. If you're interested in calling, you're welcome to. Uh, it's a toll call, so you'll have to pay for it. It's 573-443-8255. But if you've got a cell phone, most people are getting sort of free uh, nights and weekends or free long distance anyway. So uh, a little bit later after we do sort of the standard stuff here in the first hour. We'll open the phones a little bit later and talk to some people if they're interested in talking to me, okay? All right. Um, let's see. Upcoming guests. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happening in the next few weeks, all right? Tonight, as I said, uh, we're going to have an open line show. I want to catch up on news. I have a lot of things that I'd like to talk about that I haven't had a chance to over the last few weeks, so we'll do that. Next week, we have John, uh, John Major Jenkins. And it's always a pleasure to talk with John. He was on the air with us uh, briefly last week. And we'll spend a full two hours with John next Monday. And I can't wait. So John Major Jenkins next week, Monday, August 28th. And I'll come up with some good music for that show, too, I promise you. All right? On the 3rd of September, that's a Sunday, I'm going to do a special webcast. Uh, it won't be a... Uh, a uh, locally broadcast program on KOPN, but it will be a webcast that can be heard live over the Internet. And I'm going to do that Sunday afternoon. Jeff and I still, uh, Jeff Stray, that is, uh, still have to sort of uh, tie down the actual hour, but we've got the day, and it's Sunday afternoon, the 3rd of September. So I'll have a special webcast with Jeff Stray. And if you're interested in him and his work, you may have heard Jay Widener and John Jenkins speak about Jeff last week, but on the web you can look him up at www.diagnosis2012.co.uk. So, after that, the following day, as a matter of fact, on the 4th, 
Uh, Jay Widener, that's a Monday, of course, for the regular program. Jay will be with us. Jay again uh, with us last week for a few minutes and joined John for an interesting discussion. But two hours, we'll do the full program with Jay on the 4th of September. On the 11th, Richard K. Moore, the author of Escaping the Matrix. We'll talk about 9-11 and the fallout and five years later what everything looks like. Uh, on the 18th of September, Kevin and Matthew Taylor, the authors of Land of No Horizon, will discuss the hollow earth theories. Strange, but uh, no stranger than some of the other things that are coming across our plate these days. Uh, Dale Pendell, an author that I can't wait to talk to, but uh, I haven't quite nailed the date down with him. G. Edward Griffin, back on the program sometime this fall. We'll talk about the Federal Reserve. Jim Beard. Uh, one of my elders and one of my teachers, someone who I've wanted to get on the program for a long time. We're finally going to do that in November or December. And I say it now on the air because after I speak the words, I have to make sure that it happens. And I can't wait to have Jim, uh, to have Jim Beard on the program with us. He's a Lakota wise man, a wisdom keeper, an elder, a friend of mine, someone who I share a great many things with and someone who I'm looking forward to sharing with you. All right, Jim, I'm not sure about the date, but it'll be soon. 25 after the hour. I think that we'll do space weather. All right. And then we'll play a little bit of music, come back and do some news, and talk some more. So, if you're interested in the things that are happening up there in the sky above your heads, and you well should be, Set your alarm, all right? If you wake up before dawn tomorrow, actually, you probably won't have to set your alarm because uh, you'll be up listening to this program, hopefully. But uh, I finish up at 2 o'clock, and it's going to be a couple hours after that. So anyway, just before dawn tomorrow, Tuesday morning, August the 22nd, you'll be able to see three planets lined up with the crescent of the moon. You just go outside and look to the east, and it will be a beautiful sight, and it's a really nice way to begin the day. And it's been sort of coming together for the last few days. But you'll see three beautiful images up there in the sky right next to the moon. Okay, On Saturday night, the 19th, uh, there was an amazing display of Aurora Borealis. And some of the most interesting photos, beautiful photos, came from Scandinavia. It was a kind of display that made you just sort of run out of the house, and, uh, or maybe the sauna, I guess, and grab your camera, and that's what a lot of the people there in Scandinavia did, and there are some wonderful photos that are posted up on the web, and if you want to take a look at them, hop on over to spaceweather.com, and you can see some there, okay? All right, uh, sunspots, I mentioned, I may have mentioned, I should have mentioned last week, I don't think we did space weather, but uh, there was an interesting sunspot, group number 904, uh, it is still on the surface, uh, the visible surface from the Earth's perspective, and it is moving toward the western limb, though. And shortly after that, though, it's uh, just going to sort of edge out of sight. But there were some interesting photos of that taken as well over the last few days. More importantly, or more interestingly for me, there is uh, a sunspot that is in the news that was discovered on the 31st of July. This was reported only on the 15th of August, though. And it uh, was a small uh, sunspot, but it was peculiar in the fact that its magnetic uh, magnetic field is backwards. 
And they discovered this on the 31st. A tiny sunspot was born. They write it popped up from the sun's interior, floated around a bit, and vanished again in a few hours. On the sun, this sort of thing happens all the time. Ordinarily, it wouldn't be worth mentioning, but this sunspot was special. It was backward. We've been waiting for this, says David Hathaway, a solar physicist at the Marshall Space Flight in Huntsville, uh, Alabama. A backward sunspot is a sign that the next solar cycle is beginning. Backward means magnetically backward, Hath- uh, Hathaway explains. Sunspots are planet-sized magnets created by the sun's inner magneto dynamo, blah, 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 blah. This is just, uh, you know, the, the latest, greatest theory. But anyway, it is something that does seem to indicate that things on the sun are changing and we may be moving into a more energetic period. And that's interesting because um, for the last few years, the scientists that watch the sun and the non-scientists that are paying attention and watch the sun have recognized a, a significant increase in activity. And everybody is saying that this next cycle... Uh, should be much more intense than the last one and probably many before that. And of course, this next cycle is supposed to peak around 2011 or 2012, interestingly enough. Another convergence there, maybe. Anyway, all right, what else is happening? As I said, you're going to see three star-like bright objects next to the moon if you get up early in the next couple days. But uh, those are not stars, they're planets. And it's Venus... Mercury and Saturn, and they will be in what we call conjunction with the Sun. I'm sorry, they're they're not far from the Moon. What's in conjunction with the Sun tonight is the star Regulus, uh, which will emerge in the morning sky near Venus a couple weeks from now. But at any rate, in the morning tomorrow, about five degrees up in the northeast, you'll see Venus, and you'll see Saturn to its lower left, and you'll see Mercury about 15 minutes later. And it'll all be sort of wrapped around a nice uh, crescent moon before the sun rises. Okay? On the 23rd, on Wednesday, the moon is a new moon. And it happens in the middle of the day for most of us. And it won't be seen from the U.S. until Friday or Saturday. But uh, it'll be very low in the west uh, not, long after Saturday, uh, not long after sunset uh, later in the week. All right, what else? August 22nd through the 25th. The International Astronomical Union Symposium 240 on binary stars as critical tools and tests in contemporary astrophysics. The only reason I mention this one is for uh, the sake of Walter Cruttenden. We'll have to send that one to Walter and see if he's aware of uh, the work that's happening at that particular conference. It might be relevant to his work. So uh, on the 23rd, asteroid Sean Connery. Closest approach to Earth. Mm-hmm. You guys just have a blast naming these things, I guess. On the 24th, Comet Takamizawa, closest approach to Earth. I just say these things because there's all these comets and asteroids zipping by us. There's another comet that's going to have a, uh, its closest approach on the 24th of August. On the 24th of August, there's also an asteroid uh, named uh, 2006 QA that has a near-Earth flyby. This is one that gets pretty close, 0.06 astronomical units. So figure the math, but uh, an, one AU is 93 million miles, so 0.06 times that, pretty close, uh, in cosmic terms at least. So that's happening. What else? On the 24th, the 40th anniversary of Luna 11. This was a Russian orbiter of the moon that was launched in 1966 on August 24th. <coughs> We've got Starfest 
2006 going on in Ontario, the Oregon Star Party 2006 going on at the Achoco National Forest, which is a really cool place up in Oregon, uh, the Almost Heaven Star Party in Spruce Knob, West Virginia, lots of star parties. I mentioned them. It's just people that get together and they go meet up at certain places and they go star watch at wonderful times during the year. And that's happening all over the place. We should do some of them here in Missouri. There's no reason why not to. We've got great, uh, great viewing here at certain times during the year. All right, what else? The nor- uh, on the 25th, the northern Iota Aquarids meteor shower peaks. And to be honest, I'm not sure if that will be visible up here in the northern hemisphere. If it will, it won't be a, uh, anything astonishing. I'm, I'm, I'm certain of that. And the 25th through the 27th, the 25th European Symposium on Occultation Projects. And that sounds like an Illuminati deal or something. The occult, which we've been talking about a lot on the web. And maybe we'll chat about that a little bit later during the program if people uh, would like to. So anyway, all right, we talked about what's happening up there in space. What else do I have in space weather news for you? Oh, here's here, here's a brilliant one. This is from space.com, you know, one of the most respected sites publishing articles about space. Listen to this. <laughs> Earth's the, the only reason I waste the time is because I have a lot of time tonight. But this one's funny. Earth's moon could become a planet. If Earth and moon survive, moon could get promoted in a few billion years. Again, space.com. This isn't the onion. If astronomers approve a newly proposed planet definition next week, things could get really strange. Sure, asteroid Ceres will become a planet. Pluto's moon Charon will become a planet. But we're talking really strange. Eventually, if Earth and its moon survive long enough... The moon will have to be reclassified as a planet, says Gregory Laughlin, an extrasolar planet researcher at the University of California, Santa Cruz. The new definition proposed this week by the International Astronomical Union basically says every round object orbiting the sun is a planet, unless it orbits another planet. But there's a big caveat. If the center of gravity, called the barycenter, is outside the large object, then the smaller object is a planet. The wording elevates Pluto's moon Charon to planethood, an idea some astronomers have criticized. But here's the thing. Earth's moon was born in a catastrophic collision more than 4 billion years ago. That's an assumption. Uh, I'm adding that. Uh, It started out very close to the planet, but has been moving away ever since. Again, uh, an assumption that's not been proven. It's currently drifting away at about 1.5 inches every year. For now, the system's barycenter is inside the Earth, but that will change. If the Earth and the Moon do survive, then the barycenter will eventually move outside the Earth as the Moon recedes, Laughlin told Space.com. At that point, the Moon would be promoted to planetary status. None of this would occur, of course, for a few billion years. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, it's much ado about nothing. Now, a couple things. The Moon is currently drifting away from the planet apparently, at 1.5 inches every year. But that's only been since it's been measured. And we have no way of knowing if it's always gone like that and if it will continue to. So that's why I say that these are all just assumptions and they are peddled as fact, but as usual. And it's it's silliness anyway. I mean, this is all talk about something that we're going to do supposedly a few billion years from now, as if we're really going to, if we're still here, we're going to be worried about classifying the moon as a planet or as a planetary satellite or not. My God. What, and people say there's not a crisis in science? <laughs> All right. Uh, lots more news to talk about in a few. But let's take a breather. 
And if you're paying attention, I've got a special surprise for you after the music I'm going to play right now. Okay? All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. We'll be back in just a few. Here's a cool piece of music from my friends from C3. I'll be back in just a minute. Uh, in the meantime, hop on the web to www.mikehagan.com. And if you've got a good connection, you can listen to the show over the web. And you can also join us over in the chat room and join the conversation. All right? Okay. One more time. This is C3. This is from a show at the Ragtag Theater a couple of years ago. Something we called V8. This is from their second set. Check it out. It's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia.
this is Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Chuck Norris once bet NASA he could survive re-entry without a spacesuit. On July 19, 1999, a naked Chuck Norris re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, streaking over 14 states and reaching a temperature of 3,000 degrees. An embarrassed NASA publicly claimed it was a meteor and still to this day owes him a beer. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Right, true story. All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And uh, my friend Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. We'll share another one of those with you maybe later. All right, so let's uh, talk a little bit about what's happening in the news. There's all kinds of things, and I'm just going to sort of snoop around on the website here and over on the forum. Right here, I've got an interesting story about uh, Pink Floyd in the news and uh, with NASA, as a matter of fact. Let me page down to that really quickly here and do that like this and this like that. Listen to this. Um, Peter Clifton was sitting watching television when he saw NASA had been searching for the original Apollo 11 footage. He had forgotten that in 1979 he ordered footage from the Smithsonian for use in his film The Dark Side of the Moon. He had all but forgotten a pristine 16mm film of the moon landing that was part of his vast personal film catalog. The story goes on, but it's a pretty interesting one. And uh, I think it's pretty funny that NASA lost their original footage for Apollo 11. Once again, the psychedelic community to the rescue. Who's got the copy of the tape they need? (laughs) The guys that make Dark Side of the Moon. I love it. It's beautiful. Synchronicity. Novelty. Increasing. Who said that? Somebody said that was going to happen. All right, I mentioned the backward sunspot. That's in the news here. That means that the solar cycle is about ready to uh, pick up a little bit, or at least historically it's been, it's been considered a sign that meant that the solar cycle was shifting, usually towards now back towards solar maximum and towards a more energetic state. And as a matter of fact, there was a related story that uh, Kent grabbed from the archives and pulled up again. And I mentioned it when I was talking about space weather, but I'll get specific here for those who question me. This is from the National Center for Atmospheric Research. This was from March 6th of this year, 2006. Scientists issue unprecedented forecast of next sunspot cycle. This is from Boulder, Colorado. That's where the uh, NOAA is at. I I used to live there. We used to hike up there, up on the Flatirons outside of Boulder. Anyway, uh, the next sunspot cycle will be 30 to 50% stronger than the last one and begin as much as a year late, according to a breakthrough forecast using a computer model of solar dynamics. I mean, you have to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. But anyway, uh, developed by scientists at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, that's NCAR, and uh, and I spoke mistakenly before. It's not NOAA, it's NCAR. That's what's up there in Boulder. Uh, predicting the sun cycles accurately years in advance will help society's plan for active bouts of solar storms, which can slow satellite orbits, disrupt communications, and bring down power systems. The scientists have confidence in the forecast because in a series of test runs, the newly developed model simulated the strength of the past eight cycles with more than 98% accuracy. The forecasts are generated in part by tracking the subsurface movements of the sunspot remnants of the previous two solar cycles. 
Uh, it goes on a little bit. But anyway, there are certainly scientists that feel that this might be a more powerful uh, solar cycle. I sort of feel that intuitively, and that's because I've been hanging around Kent Stedman for too long. But my take is not a bad one. I'm not frightened of the sun. I think the sun is wonderful. And I think that uh, when the sun bathes us in the light that comes from her or him or it, that it's a good thing. So I don't want to go underground. I'm going to take my clothes off and run around in the sun. I mean, it'd be wonderful. All right. We'll see how I fare if I do that. All right, what else is happening here? You can always run over to Cyberspace Orbit and find interesting things. I won't go there quite yet, but uh, there's always interesting stuff over there at Kent's site. So I've got that up, but we'll talk about that a little bit later, some of the stuff over there that Kent has. Uh, here's one that's right up my alley. A couple of book reviews that I'm looking at from Scientific American. And they're both books that argue that it's time for string theory, the latest greatest in how the world works in physics, uh, to give way. And this first one is my favorite. It's called The Trouble with Physics, The Rise of String Theory, The Fall of Science, and What Comes Next. And there's another one called Not Even Wrong, The Failure of String Theory and the Search for Unity in Physical Law. And then there's a article written about those two books. But the point of both of them is that now, as always, the latest greatest theory is being shown by the tools of science that it too doesn't make the right amount of sense, that things just don't add up. And this has been the, the story of science ever since the first scientist decided that he could figure everything out. So anyway, I'm glad that there's some books being written about the fact that um, string theory is just the latest in a string of, you know, ideas, assumptions, hubristic bouts of intellect minus intelligence. Also, a whole lot of, you know, really good people doing work in the sciences that have really taken the axe because of this sort of thing. You know, people that actually have the courage and the strength and the honor to say, hey, we don't know what's happening here. It's an open system. It's constantly changing. We don't even know if the rules stay the same. And we're making our best guess. And those people are usually on the cutting edge, the leading edge of the leading wave, as Starr likes to put it. But it's always been the case, so it's nothing new. But it's our job to recognize it, and it's our job to recognize that it's still going on today, just as it went on in Galileo's time, and Copernicus's time, and Kepler's time, and everybody else's time. You know, there are always the front runners, which are usually defined as heretics and fringe dwellers, but they're typically the ones who define the next paradigm. So, anyway, we'll see what happens, as always. Time will tell. All right, what else do we have here in the news? The U.S. is home to a supervolcano. Now, this is no news to some people who are interested in earth changes and this sort of thing, but we'll mention it because it hasn't been mentioned for a while. Well, it seems that there are volcanoes so big, so massive, that when they erupt, it affects the climate of the entire earth. You would have over nine inches of ash over a thousand miles away. The area affected by the blast would be more than 2,000 square miles, and when this one blows, it'll be 2,500 times bigger than Mount St. Helens. Where is it? Well, I think it's in Yosemite. 
And I better go to the story here so I can read the whole thing. Yep. Oh, I take it back. Of course, it's Yellowstone. Uh, in Yellowstone National Park, there's something very strange going on there. They now say there's a supervolcano that really uh, is the source, of course, of all the geothermic activity in the Yellowstone region. But it's also something that they say eventually is going to be absolutely devastating when it decides to blow. So just check that out on the web if you're interested. and go find all of this stuff at MikeHagan.com. And if you just page down on the front page there, Larry's got all kinds of interesting stories that he updates every couple, three days, every day sometimes, depending on how busy things are and how busy we are. But there are lots of things happening out there, and some of them are right around the corner. I was going to read this one story about this monkey, <laughs> but I'll just read the clip uh, to you because the website's down. But uh, there's a particular monkey called a tamarind. And the tamarind monkey, they say, are playing the lead role in heightening awareness among Brazilians. Not only can the rare animals attract ecotourists, but restoring their habitat revives a forest which is more biologically diverse than any other in the world, including the Amazon. One patch of the Atlantic rainforest contains more species than the whole of England. So... Uh, this particular little monkey down there in Brazil is helping to bring back the rainforest there. Good for them. And good for the people for recognizing that they actually have some value. I don't care if it, if it is to bring ecotourists. You know, what do they say? Baby steps, right? All right. What it is, is a, it's, a, it's a sign that people are interested in getting a connection reestablished with the earth. And that, of course, is something that I think is super important uh, for the future of individual people. Forget about the institutions, the established ways of being, but for individuals. That's the way uh, to make it through the gate that's coming. So I encourage everyone to make an effort to do that. There are lots of ways. All you've got to do is be listening closely to some of the people that are on this program, as a matter of fact. Here's one. This one sounds familiar. Math genius living in poverty. Grigory Grisha Perlman, the genius who won fame last week spurning a million dollar prize after revealing his solution for Poincaré's conjecture. This is an old mathematical problem. Uh, he's living with his mother in a humble flat in St. Petersburg, Russia, coexisting with her on a $74 a month pension. Let's see, what else? Here, oh gosh, brilliant one here. FDA says bacteria-eating viruses are safe for treating meat. And, and Larry adds, yeah, right, like we can trust the FDA. But listen to this. This is frightening. A mixture of six bacteria-killing viruses can be safely sprayed on meat and poultry to combat common microbes that kill hundreds of people a year, federal health officials said Friday. The preparation of bacteriophages... This is what they're called. The preparation of bacteriophages, the name is Greek for bacteria eater, infects only various strains of the Listeria bacterium and not human or plant cells. I'm going to, lead, I'm, I'm going to actually go to this article and read a little bit more of it to you, right? because there are, again, dangerous assumptions made here, I think. The bacterium they target can cause a serious infection called listeriosis, blah, 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 blah. That's not the important part, but... But the important part of the article, where is it? Giving you dead air right now, but I know there was something here that said that the manufacturers or the distributors of this product did not have to notify on their packaging that 
the stuff had been sprayed with this stuff. So in other words, you could be getting cold cuts or chicken or whatever that had been sprayed with these particular viruses that are called bacteriophages that are supposed to eliminate certain other bacteria. But, gosh, I don't know. It sounds dangerous. Because you never know what the synergies between these things are. You know, there's a lot of bacteria in your gut, in your stomach, in your intestines. And I don't know. I'm not sure what I think about that. I think I'd like to know if it's going to be sprayed on the things that I'm going to eat. And, they, and, and although it doesn't say it on the article that I just went to here, I know that that is uh, part of the deal, that they don't have to notify that it's going to be on there. All right, look, uh, it's just about a few minutes before midnight, so let's play a piece of music. We'll come back, and i got a few things that I'd like to talk about, and then we'll open the phone lines and go to the forum and to the chat room and see what you guys have on your minds, and just continue on that way, all right? All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. You can hear us live on the web at www.cosmicwavesradio.com every Monday from 11 until 2. We're experimenting with live streaming, and the people at Cosmic Waves Radio have been wonderful uh, in allowing me this opportunity. So thanks to everybody there that makes it happen, and to KOPN for giving me the venue. All right, so KOPN on the web as well at uh, KOPN.org, and we appreciate the support that all of you give us. And if you don't, uh, please do. Thanks. Here's one from Ism. It's called Out of the Way.
right, ism from Monkey Underneath. That's out of the way. And this is Mike. Let me get some out of the way here. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. On the web, kopn.org. And I'm on the web at mikehagan.com. And hopefully we'll be there for some time in the future. Okay, so it's just after midnight. And we are going to just move along with the program tonight. We don't have a particular guest that's going to join us. I've got a few things that I want to talk about. And we'll probably open the phones in a little while here. The number will be 573-443-8255 if you've got the gumption and you want to talk. I'd be glad to chat with anybody, whether you're listening uh, live here in our local or regional listening area or if you're listening over the web and participating in the chat room, you can call as well. Unfortunately, if you're outside of that area code, it will cost you, but if you've got a cell phone or something, it probably maybe just included in your minutes or something like that. So, Okay. <coughs> Pardon me, as I said... I'm feeling a little bit of a cough, but I just have to do it once in a while, and then it clears me out, all right? A sip of water, and on with the show. So, something has been going on. It's been on my mind for the last couple, three weeks, and I've done a little experiment, and I'll share it with you. And it's not the most uh, encouraging thing, but it is enlightening, maybe. For those of you who are familiar with me and uh, familiar with some of my own personal interests, you know I have an interest in silver and the medicinal qualities in particular, the antibacteriological and antiviral uh, qualities of silver. And I've investigated it personally for a long time, for many years, and have you know, been interested in it. And about a year ago, in October of 2005, there was a paper that came out in the peer-reviewed journal the Journal of Nanotechnology. And it was an amazing article, I thought, an amazing paper. And I talked about it on the air. You can find it in the archives sometime probably around uh, the middle of October, one of those shows, sometime after October 18th probably. Uh, And I was blown away then. I've been blown away ever since. And I've yet to find anyone of note that really is interested in talking about it. So I'm going to read the uh, article to you here, a little bit of this press release, and then uh, a little bit more of the in-depth, detailed information from the study. And then I'll tell you what I did. All right? Okay, so this is uh, Thursday. I'm sorry, Tuesday, October 18th, 2005. The press release came out in free market news, but um, I'll read you more of the study from the Journal of Technology in a second, all right? All right, the title says, Silver Kills Viruses, Study Finds. In a groundbreaking study, the Journal of Nanotechnology has published a study that found silver nanoparticles kills HIV, uh, HIV HIV-1, and is likely to kill virtually any other virus. The study which was conducted by the University of Texas and Mexico University, is the first medical study to ever explore the benefits of silver nanoparticles, according to Physorg. Now, Physorg is a clearinghouse of scientific, in particular, uh, you know, peer-reviewed scientific pa- papers. Physorg is the organization that released the paper that was done at the University of Texas in, associ- uh, in association with Mexico U. Anyway, listen to this. 
During the study, researchers used three different methods of limiting the size of silver nanoparticles by using capping agents. The capping agents were foamy, blah, 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 blah. blah. The particles ranged in size from 1 to 10 nanometers, depending on the method of capping. After incubating the HIV-1 virus at 37 degrees Celsius, the silver particles killed 100% of the virus within three hours for all three methods. The scientists believe that the silver particles bonded with glycoprotein knobs of the virus with spacing of about 22 nanometers, while further research is needed, researchers are optimistic that nanological silver may be the silver bullet to kill viruses. The researchers in the study said that they had already begun experiments using silver nanoparticles to kill what is known as the superbug, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureosus, or aureus. Already used as a topical antibiotic in the medical industry, silver may now come under consideration as an alternative to drugs when it comes to fighting previously untreatable viruses such as Tamiflu-resistant avian flu. All right. The Journal of Nanotechnology has published a study that found silver nanoparticles kills HIV-1 and is likely to kill virtually any other virus. Okay. From physorg.com, this is more official. In the first ever study of metal nanoparticles interaction with HIV-1, silver nanoparticles the size of 1 to 10 nanometers attached to HIV-1 and prevented the virus from bonding to host cells. The study published in the Journal of Nanotechnology was a joint project between U Texas, Austin, Mexico University, Nueva Leon. Our article opens an important avenue for research, said Miguel Jose Yacaman. Uh, in the study, scientists mix silver and nanoparticles with three different capping agents. We already said that... Uh, uh, anyway, it's in detail, and you can read the whole thing on the website at www.mikehagen.com. And I actually posted a couple of the emails that I'm going to talk about in a minute uh, on my forum there. So if you want to see the actual text of these particular articles, and then some of the people that I've or the, the notes that I've written to people about it, you can find that at mikehagen.com and just go over to the forum, and it says talks about HIV and malaria and silver. So, uh, this last week, from the 13th to the 18th of August, was being held the 16th Annual Conference on AIDS. And they have a big web presence, and the International AIDS Society is the sponsor, and there's a lot of press and a lot of media there and a whole bunch going on and it's a big event if you're in the AIDS community. So uh, I spent the whole week on the websites. I didn't participate directly. I didn't uh, actually attend physically but I every day I went to the website and I found out what people were talking about, what the speakers topics were of the day. I went to the chat rooms. I participated in the forums that were made available to the users of the websites. And I posted this information. And I asked over and over again, how is it possible that this is not at least a topic of conversation at the conference? Because nobody had mentioned anything about silver. And nobody had mentioned it in the year before either, in 2005. And so it was an honest question. And I sent email to the organizers and to people that were associated with and involved with the event 
and again, included the stories with the links to the original articles. You know, I'm not trying to pull the wool over anybody. And so far, I've gotten absolutely no response from anybody. It was amazing. There's supposed to be thousands of people participating in this conference, both on the web and in the physical. And I posted this stuff in the chat, or I mean, in the, uh, there were two different forums that I posted. One was on AIDS treatment, and another one was on um, uh, people living with AIDS. And I posted these two articles. And the one, it took, it took, three, it, it took a day and a half uh, for, any, for either of them to get past the moderation to actually get on the board. And when they did get on the board, uh, one of them had three views at the end of the conference, and the other one had two views. So a total of five people saw those, uh, those two articles that I posted on those two different forums. And, and out of the five people that, that apparently viewed them, none of them found them interestingly enough to comment on, to add uh, you know, a response on the thread in the forum. And I didn't receive any email responses from anybody else that I sent the information to. And you know, I sent nice formal emails saying basically I find this very interesting, this information, and I'd be interested in what your experts think about it. And quite frankly, okay, you know, I'm I'm saying four-inch headlines. You know, I'm screaming this should be four-inch headlines. And, but maybe I'm, you know, too extreme. But it certainly should be in the discussion. It should be being talked about. I mean, I'll say it again, in a... In a groundbreaking study, the Journal of Nanotechnology has published a study that found silver nanoparticles kills HIV-1 and is likely to kill virtually any other virus. I mean, is that not big news? Anyway, apparently not. Because I just get silence uh, from people when I, when I present it to them. And I say I'm a radio broadcaster. I'd be glad to you know, talk with somebody about it on the air, whatever. So here's another example of the same thing. All right, this is a similar story, as I said, and it happened about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, maybe. It has to do with a similar story. This one's malaria. And uh, I came across an organization that was called Africa at Home. And among other things, this organization is supposed to be interested in eliminating malaria. You know, malaria is another one of the biggest killers on this planet. And there are lots of groups that are involved and associated with Africa at home. And I sent this information to all of them. I've got a huge long list of email addresses that I sent this to. Again, nice formal letter that presented this information. All right. This is the written testimony of William D. Moeller, a man who I've actually spoken to on the phone, believe it or not, because I was interested in, in investing in his company, uh, but um, I don't have the, the kind of money that they require for an investment. But at any rate, uh, the written testimony of William D. Moeller, president of American Biotech Laboratories, 80 West Canyon Crest Road, Alpine, Utah, 84004, if you're interested in who these people are. Presented to the members of the House International Relations Committee, Subcommittee on Africa, Global Human Rights, and International Operations, April 26, 2005, over a year ago, year and a half ago now. All right? 
This is on the Congressional Record, and I'm reading to you directly from the Congressional Record of the United States of America. Introduction. I won't read the whole thing, but again, the whole thing is posted on the website. If you're interested, you can go download it and share it with people that might give a damn. Good morning. I am William D. Moeller, Chairman and President of American Biotech Laboratories of Alpine, Utah, a company which produces engineered metallic silver nano-sized particles in water-based products. Our engineered silver particles have performed far beyond anyone's expectations as antimicrobial agents against a staggering variety of microbes such as malaria, flesh-eating bacteria. This again is that uh, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus that I mentioned before and E. coli. Whether used on surfaces as disinfectants or if taken internally as supplements, all of our ABL products are non-toxic and have no known adverse human side effects. Our products have surprised many experts in the medicinal and science worlds because of their ability to compact, uh, to combat bacteria, yeast, and viruses. ABL products have been proven to destroy anthrax spores and bubonic plague bacteria on surfaces to eliminate the malaria parasite in humans and a host of other beneficial results. Uh, I'll jump to the malaria studies. After ABL learned how the lives of 11 young children in Rwanda were saved, discussed above, this is in detail, discussed above, again, this is on the congressional record, this guy's not whistling Dixie, ABL initiated contact with four different hospital clinics in Ghana. We shipped to these different medical facilities about a thousand of our 8-ounce bottles of a product called ASAP-10. Obtaining good follow-up clinical data turned out to be quite difficult because once the patients felt better, they simply did not come back for further treatment and follow-up. For example, Appendix 5 contains representative data from the Juice Tube Clinic run by Dr. Agnes Abraham, who reported after her first trials that typically their patients return to the clinic only after they are still ill, which was not the case with their patients treated with ASAP-10. Another preliminary trial occurred at the Air Force Hospital in Ghana, where the medical officer in charge was Dr. Evelyn Kwabia. The five patients treated by Dr. Kwabia all had positive outcomes. See Appendix 6. Dr. Kwabia reported the patients with malaria who had received the ASAP-10, quote, recovered faster than those receiving conventional treatments, recovered where conventional treatments had failed, or that the ASAP-10 function as a prophylactic preventing the recurrence of malaria. Ultimately, the success of ABL's ASAP-10 against malaria gained such widespread acceptance in Ghana that the Food and Drugs Board of the Republic of Ghana issued a certification of registration of a drug for ABL's product. Uh, this goes on and on and on. All right? This stuff kills the malaria bug. And it's confirmed in the studies from the Journal of Nanotechnology that came out six months later the one I just read you that said it also killed the HIV virus. So I sent all this information to the Africa at Home people and all kinds of other people that are associated with that organization, all kinds of malaria experts and, and organizations and institutions raising all kinds of money for guess what? Vaccines primarily and pills and treatments for these things. You know, the big talk is about how do we treat all these people? How do we get them a vaccine? Well, the vaccine will cost money. 
And the problem with vaccines are many, we know that. But anyway, my point is, this should be being discussed, in my opinion. I'd be interested in hearing what other people think about this. Uh, you know, if you think it's something that should be deserving of the uh, attention of the International AIDS Society, or Afri uh, Africa at Home, and other types of organizations that are interested in, you know, the betterment of mankind, supposedly. It seems like this is something that they might want to look into to me. So anyway, give me a call if you think that's interesting and you'd like to chime in. The number is 573-443-8255. And uh, I'd be glad to hear what you have to think about that. In the meantime, I'll play a piece of music here. And we'll come back and talk about some other stuff. All right? If you're on the chat room, or in the chat room, I should say, uh, say hello. And if you have anything you'd like to talk about, you can post it up there. Or you can give me a call as well. If you've got a cell phone or a telephone and you're not uh, uh, not worried about spending a couple dollars, uh, give me a call at 573-443-8255. I'd love to hear from anybody out there. Okay? All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And you can find me on the web at www.mikehagan.com. And you can also find information about what I do here at the radio station on the web at kopn.org. All right, this is a song called Solid Air. It's written by my friend Joost Van Oost. And he's a wonderful singer-songwriter from... Uh, from the Netherlands, as a matter of fact. Uh, one more time, Jos van Oost, Solid Air. You listen to it on Radio Orbit back in just a few minutes. It's Mike, and I'm glad you're with me. Well, it's called the Solid Air. I can be a friend. 
a lovely morning now. It's about 12.26, now the 22nd of August. And it's Mike, you listen to Radio Orbit on KLPN Columbia 89.5 FM or on CosmicWavesRadio.com, Channel 2, that is. All right, it's Mike and that's Jos van Oost, wonderful independent music from Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Okay, there are a couple other things I want to mention about this particular uh, story and these stories that I just mentioned before the break, the HIV thing and the malaria story and the relationship to silver. And I would say go onto my website and I'll post, uh, if you go to the forum, you'll see the thread and I'll post some email addresses of people that I've already sent this information to and maybe you could follow up and send it yourself and see if they respond to you. I don't know. Maybe if more people um, ask them about it, someone will at least give us you know, some sort of an answer. It's an idea, at least. Okay, what else? On the chat room here, there's a question that uh, Bob asks. He says, Mike, any relation between silver nanoparticles and colloidal silver? And yeah, that's the rub, Bob, is that colloidal silver is silver nanoparticles. It's, it's silver nanoparticles in solution. And this company, now they're not the only ones that do it, uh, but they're called American Biotech Labs. 
this one that I'm uh, talking about and the one that I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with a number of them. This is one that I think is, you know, in my own, I'm not endorsing them or telling anyone to buy their products. I'm just, it's one that I have found to be reputable. And I think that the man that runs the company, the people that run it are respectful men and women who are trying to help. I've spoken to Bill Moeller on the phone. And although I couldn't invest in his company, I had a good conversation with him, and I appreciate that he's trying to do good things with his products. And anyway, uh, the this stuff that he makes, this ASAP-10, what it is, is colloidal silver, and it's uh, nanoparticles. And he goes into pretty in-depth discussion, uh, and all this stuff, again, is available on the web, um, as far as particle size, that's the specifics of their products. But yeah, that is an important part of it, is particle size. And it's just something that people are learning and getting better at. You know, silver has always been used and raved about in a medicinal sense. It wasn't that long ago when our great-grandparents would uh, love to use silver utensils rather than rather than tin forks and spoons and knives and this sort of thing because uh, whether it was fully understood or not people that used silver utensils were healthier and that tended to be people with more money typically and this is the uh, the origin of the idea of the silver spoon and there are other legendary and sort of uh, colloquial tales about silver but they're very telling the silver bullet is another one. The silver lining, another one. But silver has been well known for many centuries as being a powerful antibiotic, an antiviral. Even though people didn't really know what was going on inside of them, they knew this stuff worked. Uh, you know, another great uh, example of this is the cowboys. This wasn't that long ago in the western U.S. or wherever. You see... In the movies, when they have their canteens, you'll hear them shake the canteen. They do this often when they're running out of water to show the people that are watching the film you know, that they're running out of water. And they shake the canteen, and it rings like a bell. Well, the reason it does that is because they used to put a silver dollar or a silver coin in the canteen. It purified the water, and it also helped keep them healthy when they drank it. So there are lots of references to this in the historical literature and things that we know uh, about, and there's no reason why we can't benefit from it today, especially now that we have the ability to really examine what's happening you know, at the cellular level, at these really, really telling levels. And they're frightened to death of it. I mean, this is the conclusion that I've come to. I mean, I've been peddling this message for a long time, and... Nobody responds. You know, we'll just have to see. The point is that you can do it in your own life. That's the point. The point of all of this is you can do it in your own life. You know, forget about the institutions and this sort of thing just to come and save you from whatever it is that ails you, whether it's physical or mental or spiritual or whatever. You are the one that can do it and take responsibility and figure out a way because there are ways there are solutions to every problem out there. It's just a matter of going out, finding it, figuring it out, doing it. And if you have uh, certain physical ailments, 
You know, silver might be something that you could investigate. You might want to go right to the University of Texas and find out what's up with the doctors uh, that were doing the original research. I wonder what they're up to. Maybe they're people I should contact and say, you know, what sort of response have you guys gotten? Because no one will talk to me about it. Maybe I'll go right to the source. A good idea, actually. Somebody make sure I do that, all right? Okay, uh, what else? Can colloidal silver cure herpes simplex? I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't doubt it, though. I mean, I'm sure uh, I'm sure there are people that have tried it. And if you go on the web and Google colloidal silver and herpes, you might find some interesting conversation about it. Let's see. What else uh, do we have on, uh, on, on the docket here to talk about? Yeah, there's a, uh, a company that is called Stiorn or Storn. I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, but they're in Ireland, in Dublin, as a matter of fact. And uh, I love the way they introduce their website. The first thing you see is a, a quote by George Bernard Shaw that says, All great truths begin as blasphemies. And what these guys have done, I'll just read it to you, the challenge. Four days since we challenged the world scientists to test our revolutionary free energy technology, 1,888 scientists have expressed interest in testing the technology. 23,601 users uh, have registered to receive the results. And I'm one of those 23,601. And I'll just read you the short and sweet here. We have developed a technology that produces free, clean, and constant energy. This means never having to recharge your phone, never having to refuel your car, a world with an infinite supply of clean energy for all. Our technology has been independently validated by engineers and scientists, always off the record, always proven to work. And now... They have, in, have uh, uh, introduced this to the open scientific community and have said, here it is, come on. Now, I'll read you, they're very serious people because uh, there's more to this. Let me read you a little bit about the validation process. They've gone, put a lot of thought into this. And something's going on. It's not just there. I mean, you've heard the Marco Rodents of the world. You know Nassim is doing work. You've heard Michael Heisen. Uh, they're not the only ones. You know You know about Nikola Tesla. We know that these technologies have existed for a long time. It's just a matter of understanding them and implementing them. We have the solutions to these problems. But listen to this. The process of testing Stjorn's technology consists of three test phases. The process shall commence with the, sci- with the scientific jury appointing its own chairman. Storm shall then provide an in-depth explanation of the operation of its technology and shall present the tests and test data conducted on the technology to date. Storm will cover all direct costs relating to the validation process. Phase one, confirm that the Storm technology has a coefficient of performance greater than 100%. Confirm that the operation of the storm technology does not affect the component parts of the technology. Carry out a full thermodynamic analysis of the technology. What happens after validation? The jury's analysis will be published on the company's website where everyone can register to to receive the results. The company will then be seeking to license its technology into varying markets, including the consumer electronics and automotive sectors. 
The company will also be releasing several products that it has already developed itself. So, uh, I encourage you to check this out. Again, on the web, uh, just go to my website, MikeHagan.com, and it's either on the front page in the news section or over on the forum. And amazing, amazing stuff. A whole bunch of stuff on this particular website. The company is called Storn, S-T-E-O-R-N dot N-E-T, www.S-T-E-O-R-N dot net. Amazing. So, we'll have to see what comes of that. This is why the forum is so cool, because you can start a thread, and then you can sort of track it as it uh, progresses. And that's what we do over there on the forum. And it's a wonderful place for people to uh, get together and post interesting things, fun things, personal things, uh, scientific things, whatever. And then other people can comment, discuss them, debate them, share, laugh. It's very much fun, and it's a great way to create community with like-minded people. So, once again, I encourage you to hop onto the web, go over to MikeHagan.com and click over to the forum, and take a look around, see what people are talking about over there, and maybe you can join us someday, all right? All right, it's about 20 until 1 o'clock, and I think I'll take another quick break here and uh, get a few other things ready to talk about, because the phones aren't ringing off the hook, so... I will do that, be back with you in just a few minutes, and until then, what should we play here? How about a song by Mark Kozilek? This is the brains and talent behind the band called Sun Kill Moon that I've been playing a lot of lately. This was an uh, independent project of Mark's that is called just simply Mark Kozilek, and the record is called Rock and Roll Singer. And this is the title track of that particular CD, Rock and Roll Singer, from Mark Kozilek. You're listening to it on Radio Orbit on the web, www.mikehagan.com.
Hi, this is Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Chuck Norris doesn't have normal white blood cells like you and I. His have a small black ring around them. This signifies that they are black belts in every form of martial arts and they roundhouse kick the crap out of viruses. That's why Chuck Norris never gets ill. This has been Tony Friedman with your official Chuck Norris moment. Alright, there you have it again. More amazing information about Chuck Norris. Only on Radio Orbit. And only on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. Okay, it's Mike, and it's about, oh, 12.45 or so thereabouts on the morning of August 22nd, 2006. Glad to be with you tonight, talking about some interesting things, lots of interesting conversation going on in the chat room there. And so, hello, uh, first of all, to everybody over there. Will, great to see you. And uh, TVC, got Marbles and the Bard over there, Edgar. Always comes under a different guise. Bob, thanks to, uh, to you. Good to see you there as well. And... Let's see some questions about mushrooms. I have a story about mushrooms, actually. I'm not going to tell it, though, until after the top of the hour. And uh, that'll make a couple people happy. Let's see. Uh, privatized prison systems. Wackenhut. Man, no doubt they are scary. It's an industry for sure. And the drug war. A big part of filling that system up with, uh, with worker bees for smoking a joint, you know, or something like that. Let's see. No, actually, I, think, I, d- I don't think I'll do that. I think I will tell you my mushroom story, all right? Because I have something else that I want to do at the top of the hour. All right. Mushrooms, any kind of mushrooms. I'm not talking about any particular kind, psychedelic or otherwise. Uh, but they're a really interesting organism. And one of the things that's interesting about them, and also very frustrating to many people, is that they're really difficult to grow. Uh, in any sort of a controlled environment. Like growing mushrooms indoors, for example, is very, very difficult. And I know this because there was a time in my life where I actually tried this and uh, was very, very hard uh, to do uh, to the point where I gave up. Uh, But I had something very strange happen that showed me, uh, taught me a lesson about this sort of thing. And it goes like this. Indoors, again, uh, mushrooms are very difficult to cultivate. Some species you can't cultivate. They've, they've yet to be um, colonized and, and cultivated in a sort of production environment, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and most species are very difficult to do this. And in fact, there are websites and uh, you know, bulletin boards and books written by brilliant people uh, trying to give others advice on how to do this sort of thing, and oftentimes people report for years. They just can't do it. They just can't get it to work right. And I was one of those people who had very had a difficult time with it. So anyway, flash forward to uh, recently, and I now live in a place where um, I have a compost pile outside, and I just throw all kinds of stuff over there, you know, cardboard and maybe food leftovers or whatever, just stuff uh, to compost up over there. Well, I've thrown grocery store mushrooms over there before. You know, just threw them over there. And out of this compost come those mushrooms. They grew outside. And I thought to myself, what an amazing thing that uh, the only thing that separates us is a couple of walls Yet those walls and the environment inside 
the home and the environment outside the home are enough uh, to to make it nearly impossible on the one hand and uh, and almost impossible to stop on the other hand. Um, the sterility that's required when you're trying to grow mushrooms in a in an interior environment inside a room inside a home something like that it it requires a tremendous amount of sterility because bacteria that are present in the food sources of the mycelium which is what mushrooms grow from bacteria and molds and this sort of thing for whatever reason indoors they are very quick to take hold of the uh, the living environment of the mushroom, of the mycelium, to a point where the mycelium cannot colonize the substrate, cannot colonize the food source. And even if it does colonize, oftentimes it's contaminated with other species of bacteria or molds. And some of those are very dangerous. In fact, some can be fatal. So if you have mushrooms growing that are actually contaminated, well, there's a chance that you may be getting something that you didn't bargain for. So you have to be very, very careful with this sort of thing. And on the other hand, you just take these things and throw them outside into a pile of dung and who knows what else and let nature just do her thing and voila, when conditions are right, it's like magic. Maybe that's why they call them magic mushrooms. I think all mushrooms are magic in a way. They are magical, for sure. The way they show up, they're like they're invisible, and all of a sudden, boom, they're right there in front of you. It only takes a couple hours, it seems, for them uh, to just rise up and open their caps and just show themselves to you. But anyway, they're remarkable, and I'm very interested in the way that they grow and the, uh, the way that they propagate, and I'm also very interested in their evolutionary strategy because they do have one, you know. All species do. And the lesson that comes out of this for me was a lesson of the importance of the establishment of a connection with the natural world. Because, see, we're the same way as the mushroom. Inside, with walls closed in all around us all the time, we are separated from the natural world. And like the mushroom, we can live in that situation, but we cannot thrive. And when the balance and the beauty of nature are allowed back into your life, and I mean uh, a recognition of a living world, you know, really recognizing it, that the world is alive, the reestablishment of that connection, which is a natural connection that all of us should have, but that's been beaten out of us by a culture that doesn't understand what it's doing. That's the message of the mushroom, one of the many messages. You know, It is the same way. It thrives in a natural environment. We are the same way as, as it. And so by reestablishing that, that connection in nature, we have an opportunity to thrive as opposed to just surviving. And it doesn't mean you have to go live in the woods. That wouldn't hurt a lot of people. But... I think that a recognition of the world as a living world is a first step. And certainly there are species of mushroom that 
can help along with that with that particular path as well. So anyway, all right, there's the mushroom story. Uh, let's see. Maria Sabina did not grow mushrooms. No, Maria Sabina, the story about Marina Sabina, uh, Maria Sabina, this comes uh, from a gentleman uh, in the chat room. Maria Sabina, who was a woman shaman in Guatemala, I want to say, and the person who Timothy Leary came across in the early 60s and who shared her mojo with him, luckily for many of us. But her story was that uh, she was just hungry, tending the cattle and uh, munching on uh, what what appeared to be tasty and um, fruity mushrooms that were growing on the plain. Of course, Strafaria cubensis and many of the cubensis strains grow from cattle dung very well. And uh, on the fields of South America, there are plenty of beasts. And so the mushroom is plentiful. And she was just stumbling along and ate them. And she turned out to be an amazing, amazing shaman. So interesting stories uh, abound about the mushroom. And I like to talk about them, and I'm interested in other people's uh, opinions and ideas about it as well. Okay, so let's see. And Bob says here, you don't pick the mushroom. The mushroom picks you. And this is a uh, a shamanic statement. Uh, And certainly Maria Sabina... I think probably eventually came to an understanding of how to to grow the mushroom. Maybe not. Maybe maybe there was no need to back then. Uh, but now there, uh, to find the psilocybin containing mushrooms, they're they're not as widespread as they used to be because of climatic conditions, because of changes in agricultural. Uh, Paradigms and well, lots of lots of reasons. So they, although they they do grow certainly in the wild, it's just a matter of knowing what you're looking for, and uh, that's a challenge as well. Identifying mushrooms is a tricky business because uh, there are lots of imposters, and some of the imposters are dangerous. So there, we could talk about all this stuff for 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 a long time, but the shaman these days uh, typically does grow his or her own. Uh, and there are a number of reasons for it, uh, some practical and some spiritual or metaphysical. For example, the practical reason is you just don't have to deal with anybody else, and uh, you know it can be a private thing. Nobody has to know that you do it. On a on a more esoteric level, you don't have to worry about the mojo of the person that did grow the mushroom, because you're going to eat it. And you're going to have a communication with the intelligence that exists inside the mushrooms. And uh, interestingly enough, the intention of the grower is something that comes through. And so if you get mushrooms or something like that from somebody else or, or uh, you, know, you buy them or something like that, you have no real understanding of the intention of the grower. You're also involved in a criminal transaction, I might add. And there's no good karma in any of that stuff. So the shaman would always grow her or his own plants. Now there's also the relationship between uh, the plant and the grower. Because it takes a tremendous amount of effort and love and attention. 
like growing or raising children in many ways, I think, could be described. Again, this is what I've heard. All right? I've just heard this stuff. But it's an interesting thing, for sure. And there are certainly good reasons to study up on this stuff. And now I've got a bunch of scientists that I can use to support my ideas. And Well, we've always had a bunch of good scientists to support it, but now they're in the mainstream, i.e. Johns Hopkins University. And I referenced a study that came out just a couple of months ago with regard to psilocybin, the active ingredient in the so-called magic mushroom. And the report from Johns Hopkins was astonishing. It basically said that uh, upwards of 70% of the people who were educated, uh, intelligent, and caring individuals of many different faiths, many different political uh, colors, uh, many different backgrounds and career paths, and almost 70% of them said it was the most striking experience of their life. And it was a mystical experience and something that was profoundly beneficial for them and something that didn't leave them afterwards. It was something that, uh, that stuck with them and, and actually helped them to become, in their estimation, more human beings. And uh, so it's wonderful work that came out of Johns Hopkins and it's important. And for the people that are paying attention, I think the message is clear. So... Anyway, uh, just about top of the hour here. Let's take a break, play a little bit of music, come back, and we'll chat with uh, anybody who'd like to chat. What do I want to play here? I said I was going to get daring, so I will. Here's some music that was sent to me recently from a listener who heard me screaming out there for people to send us their art, send us their music. The band is called Frequent Animation. The CD is called Decoda, or Decada, and I'm going to play the second track. It's a good choice because it's called A Musing Elf, E-L-F, and we're going to play that song one more time in honor of our good friend, uh, the wonderful Charlie Plyler, who uh, moved on over to the other side just about a week ago, and Kent mentioned it briefly last week when he was on the air, but uh, Charlie was wonderful and did amazing work, and you can find his work on the web at elfrad, E-L-F-R-A-D dot com or dot org. I'm not sure if it's elfrad.org or elfrad.com, but just uh, go to Google or one of your search engines and put in elfrad if you can't find it. And uh, anyway, thanks for the music uh, to Roy who sent this to me, and thanks to Charlie for everything that you did. We honor you, Charlie. Thanks. All right, a musing elf. This is frequent animation. You're listening to Radio Orbit. This one's for Charlie Plyler.
again, that's Frequent Animation. And uh, that's from a CD called Decoda, a song called Amusing Elf. One more time, Charlie Plyler. All right, we love you, Charlie. And it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. And it's about 1.05 in the AM on Monday, Tuesday morning, the 22nd of August. And I should mention that uh, KOPN is always looking for new friends. And if you uh, find a friend and introduce them to the station, get somebody to become a member here, you can both enjoy a free scoop of Sparky's homemade ice cream right down there on 9th Street. So uh, find a friend that uh, will join up with you here at KOPN. And not only do you get to support a wonderful resource and a beacon of uh, free thought and uh, inspiration on the airwaves here in mid-Missouri. You can support all of that and also get some free ice cream out of the deal if you um, uh, get involved and help out KOPN. You can do that on the web at kopn.org. All right? Okay, it's uh, it's Mike, and you are listening to it, Radio Orbit. All right? Just a little after one, as I said, we've got a lot of people joining us in the chat room. The phones are open. If anybody's interested in calling, the number is 573-443-8255. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, 573-443-8255. And we're just chatting about lots of different things. And I'm looking on the chat page here in the chat room to see if there's anything else uh, that we might talk about. Marvel's asked for some Joe Stickley, so we'll play a little Joe Stickley, uh, Joe Stickley's blueprint in a little while, maybe in just a 15 or 20 minutes or so. Uh, lots of discussion about music happening over there. King Crimson, 21st Century Schizoid Man. Somebody wanted me to use that as the theme song for the show. Maybe it was Larry when I first met him, as a matter of fact. You know, it's been just about a year, by the way, since Larry and I met. And if I haven't told the story on the air, I, I'll tell it again. It was a great story the way we met. And um, it's been wonderful since he's been a part of my life and a part of Radio Orbit. Larry, I'm talking about, is Larry Norager, of course, and he's the, the, the web wizard, the guy that does everything for me basically on the web I'm completely inept when it comes to building websites and stuff like that I can I can you know provide some content and some ideas and uh, but Larry's the one that puts it all together so anyway uh, for those who are longtime listeners of the show you'll know that the website that I used to use was radioorbit.com it wasn't mikehagan.com so I was using radioorbit.com it was a really simple HTML site and basically all I did was just put the archives up there you know, I'm always my my intention and my only real agenda has been to get the stuff up in the archives and make it available. And I, tr- I, I, I figured out a way to do that very early on, and I was able to get all of my shows up there, uh, bar one or two of them, um, and uh, I had them up on this on this website, RadioOrbit.com. Well, one day in August of last year. Uh, I get an email from Larry, and I didn't know him at the time, of course. And I, I was still, I was already getting, you know, a, a reasonable amount of email from people who were listening to the show from the archives and stuff. So it's always fun to get that stuff, but uh, it wasn't that big of a surprise. Anyway, so Larry sends an email to me, and he says, "Hey, Mike, my name is Larry, and um, you know, I'm out in California, and I do this, that, and I have this, whatever." And I listened to some of your shows, and I really like it. Uh, unfortunately, your website really sucks. <laughs> and uh, 
that was I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what the message was. And he offered his services and said, you know, I'd love to uh, build a a website for you, deserving of some of the people that you've had on the show and this sort of thing. And I was I was uh, really touched by it, but I was at the same time sort of nervous and and sort of kind of like, well, who who is this guy and why? You know, I was, it was just sort of strange. I wasn't used to that sort of thing. And, um, you know, you also don't know if, you know, the sincerity. I, You know, I've had people offer me things in the past that, that, that didn't quite come to fruition. So you're always sort of careful with that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, he asked if I had, you know, if, if he could mess with the website. And I did not have MikeHagan.com at the time, but I had thought for a long time I needed to just secure the website for my name. So that, you know, if I ever decide to do anything with it, it'll be it'll be mine, and I, and I won't have to you know find something other than my actual just name, Mike Hagan. And Larry suggested that's yeah, a great idea. Why don't you get MikeHagan.com, and it's real cheap, and it won't cost you a lot of money. And in the meantime, no one will, no one will know that you have it, and I can mess around with it, and then I'll show you some of my ideas. And if you like what you see, then you know you can tell me, and then I, and then I'd be glad to do it for you. So this was a great idea, I thought, because it gave me an opportunity to get to know Larry. And at the same time, see what uh, what he was about and find out if he and I were going to be able to be friends or get along or whatever, you know. It's a relationship, like all these things. It's a matter of building a relationship, just like the plants. So, anyway, uh, a month or so goes by, and I had, I had provided him with a little bit of information and maybe a couple of photos or something. Not much, you know. And um, all of a sudden, one day, he just sends me an email and says, all right, check it out. And I go click over there to MikeHagan.com, and I, and I was absolutely blown away. And I couldn't believe what this person, who barely even knew me, uh, had done for me. And it was the beginning of our relationship, one that I hope lasts for a long, long time. He's the best, and I love him, and he does great stuff for me and for you guys, too. All out of the goodness of his heart. You know, I don't pay him a dime. And because uh, I don't get paid a dime, <laughs> so you know nobody's making any money out of this deal, and we're just doing it to spread the message, you know. And Larry's been a wonderful help in allowing me to do that. So Larry, as always, kudos. All right. Let's see what else. Is it too late to give Kent a call? Huh? Well, it's never too late to give Kent a call. In fact, he's probably just waking up right about now. He's one of those day sleepers, if you know what I mean. Maybe we'll do that, Bob, and uh, come back in just a few minutes, see if we can get the Bardo on the phone, and talk with him for a few. We've had him on for two weeks in a row. We chatted with him for a few, for just a couple minutes last week, and the show the week before. So why don't we go for uh, why don't we go for the three for and see if we can get Ken on here in a few minutes. All right, what else do you want to talk about here? Up on the web, they're talking about Art Bell. Art Bell, strange stuff. He's in the Philippines now. And I knew he wouldn't be able to stay off the air for long, but um, his story's an interesting one for sure. And Generation X will be the shamanic generation, another post. I think Generation X is the shamanic generation or the neo-shamanic generation. We'll find out. Okay, it's Mike. You listen to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia. We'll do this one for marbles. It's called Soul of a Man. It's from... Joe Stickley's Blueprint's recent release called The Eagle and the Pearl. We featured it a few weeks ago and got a nice response. And uh, 
So we'll play it again. Again, once again, for Marbles. Hope you dig it. Soul of a Man, Joe Stickley's Blueprint. You're listening to Mike Hagen. It's Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
Joe Stickley's blueprint, that soul of a man from the Eagle and the Pearl. It's Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. You're also listening to us live on the web through www.cosmicwavesradio.com. We're on Channel 2 every Monday night over there at Cosmic Waves Radio. And we thank the good men and women over there for making it happen. And we've got a lot of people listening on the web. We've got people calling in between here, uh, but just uh, uh, calling in the studio line and not uh, not wanting to get on the air. But I appreciate everyone who's calling and saying they're listening and enjoying the show. So I will just uh, continue along and uh, grab some stuff off the chat here. And there's a couple of comments, actually, I want to make. There's... For people who are familiar, there's a guy, his name is Mike Rupert, and one of the guys on the board here is talking about how he just boogied and went to Venezuela. But Mike Rupert was, is a former L.A. cop whose most important work, in my opinion, was calling Louis Free to the carpet uh, in front of the media and everybody else, a whole bunch of people, in a public forum in Los Angeles, and basically accused the director of the CIA of covering up, you know, the CIA's role in distributing drugs in the inner cities of California and in many other places around the country, certainly. But uh, Rupert just uh, just nailed him. And he did a lot of great work exposing the CIA's drug connections. And he was ruined as a cop. And uh, his life was, you know dramatically changed after he began to speak out about what he learned. He married a CIA agent. I think his wife was CIA or something like that. Anyway, all the stories on, on his website, I think it's From the Wilderness, uh, Mike Rupert's site. And he's an interesting guy, but he really got interested in the peak oil thing uh, just over the last few years, since 9-11. And his take is that 9-11 is tied into peak oil. That's the short story. And I don't know. Uh, you know there are there are there do seem to be a lot of people that are leaving the country for whatever reason, but I I don't know you know there are safe places everywhere, and I'm a person who sort of believes you can create a safe place, and and that if you do it in the right manner it doesn't matter where you are, and maybe I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. Let me uh, let, let me let me add something here though. How to make a safe place, or how to make a place safe? <laughs> that's an important question, and that's uh, one one that one that should be talked about. But before we talk about that, Larry, my conspiratorial-minded friend, is concerned that August 22nd is going to be an interesting day. Well, all days are interesting these days, but it already is August 22nd, by the way, Larry, for me and half of the rest of the planet. And so far, it hasn't blown off the map. Or at least not that I've heard. So let's uh, not worry about uh, the doom and gloom, because uh, if they do decide to do something crazy, whoever they might be, well, we'll just deal with it when it happens anyway. All right? There's no way of knowing. And my suggestion is uh, just go about your business and keep listening to Radio Orbit, because I think we've got nothing to worry about today. It's going to be a beautiful day, as a matter of fact. Okay, so... People leaving the country and safe places. I learned something from a wonderful book that I've mentioned on the air before. It's called The Secret Life of Plants. 
and it may sound like a funny title, but it's written by a man who's no longer with us. Actually, two uh, guys, Peter Tompkins and uh, Peter, or, or I'm sorry, uh, I, I'm the his co-author escapes me at this moment. But at any rate, Peter Tompkins was the primary author of the book called The Secret Life of Plants. And it's an amazing book that has a tremendous amount of research that was gathered from all around the planet. Uh, and it was published in the early 70s. But the research that was collected on it was done for many years before that. And one of the things that Tompkins points out in the book, and he, and he gives a number of examples of, of uh, physical documented cases and where things like this had happened, uh, and it has to do with safe places. And and how do you ever know if you're in a safe place? I mean, I mean, a bomb can hit you anywhere, right? It doesn't matter if you're in Venezuela or if you or if you're in Columbia, Missouri, or if you're wherever you decide to go. You know, a bus can hit you, or you can get AIDS or malaria and not know about silver. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter really where you are. So, the, so for me, the question is one of, well, if you're if if you can be sort of in danger no matter where you are, well then you can also be safe no matter where you are. And then the question becomes, well, how do you get safe? How do you make a place safe? And I go back to this idea of the reestablishment of a connection with nature. And Tompkins makes this great point in in the Secret Life of Plants, where uh, one one stunning example has to do with an earthquake in California that occurred, uh, I forget, in, in the early 50s, I want to say, early or mid-50s. And there was a, a particular town that was devastated by this earthquake. And, in, and, and people were killed and the whole bit. And in the midst of this thing, right directly smack dab in the middle of an area that was otherwise completely wiped out, stood a greenhouse and a man and his family, who took care of the plants that lived in that greenhouse and were people of the earth, so to speak. And this is a documented story, and there are others like it. And it's easy to poo-poo this, this, this sort of thing, but the more you get familiar with it, the, the more sense it makes, because it becomes more of an intuitive thing. But uh, for me, the idea of the earth as a living, breathing organism is one that I can now grok. I can handle it. In fact, I can't handle really anything other than that picture of it. And when I talk about the earth as a living, breathing organism, I mean that in, in the true sense of it, just like we are. And I believe that the earth has her own free will, which she can express when she decides to. And I think that she can decide <laughs> who stays and who goes. So that may not be something that I can prove. And it sort of comes down to where you decide to place your bets, you know. And then you, know, you just find out. But if you look at things like uh, the tsunami that happened in Indonesia a year, almost two years ago now, the, there were stories that made it into the mainstream press about how the indigenous peoples in most cases survived because they had access to some sort of information uh, 
prior to the event, or they were paying better attention, maybe is a better way to put it. Uh, but they, for the most part, were familiar with what was going to happen. It existed in their oral tradition. They knew that it had happened before. And when the signs showed up that it was going to happen again, they all ran like the Dickens. <laughs> you know, they didn't have cars or anything. They just ran up the hill. And, uh, you know, and the animals did the same thing. And so it is possible, I believe, you know, to create your own safe place by, you know, establishing a connection with the other creatures that live there and the earth itself upon which you live and upon which you depend for sustenance and for life. And recognizing that and, you know, trying to create and reestablish a relationship, communication, I think that you can create your own safe place. So, anyway, uh, there are some safe places I know of. KOPN is one of them. Because I made it safe. <laughs> and I got other safe places. So, I hope you guys got them too. And you're all welcome in mine. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm trying to read again on the chat to see if there's anything that we need to address with people who are listening here on the program. Hawaii. Looks like Larry's uh, really trying to get back to Hawaii. I wish him the best of luck. And hopefully we can get him there and he can uh, continue to do the wonderful work that he does for us here at Radio Orbit. That's the wonderful thing about the web now. It really doesn't matter where you are. You can do do your thing. And Larry will do amazing things from the islands because that's where the places uh, that he loves are. And his wonderful partner, Mitsuyu, uh, deserves to get back there as well. So uh, we got people heading to New Zealand. People listening from all over uh, right now. You know, if you don't mind, you guys, do me a favor. Uh, uh, up on the chat, post, if you could, real quick, where everybody's talking to us from tonight. I'm, I'm always interested in that, okay? And... Um, We'll take another short break here, play another piece of music, and it's called Mystic Science, the Wimshurst Machine, new music from the Wimshurst Machine. When we come back, then we'll talk about alchemy, or something like that, or, uh, uh, or conspiracy theory, or something like that. Put some, put some ideas up there in the chat, you guys, and I'll take a break here, play some music, and we'll come back and talk about some other things, all right? Okay, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM, and you're listening to it uh, about 1.30 in the a.m. on the 22nd of August 2006, all right? We'll be back in just a minute. This is great music from Italy. Speaking of conspiracy theories, lots of them down there in Italy, the Vatican, certainly up on the top of the list. I, run a, I read a silly story uh, yesterday or today about the Pope who's supposed to go inspect some image of Christ, uh, a purported image of Christ on a veil that exists in some uh, town in, uh, I think it's in a place called Abruzzo. It's, the, that's, uh, it's a region that's east of Rome. Um, this, this tells you how seriously they take this stuff, all right? I just found it here real quick. See, I'm quick. A small piece of cloth bearing an eerily detailed image of a bearded man with a bruised face is to be the subject of a papal pilgrimage next week. Pope Benedict the 16th will journey 
Pope Ratzinger will journey to a remote monastery in the Abruzzo region, east of Rome, next Friday, to visit with the mysterious icon said to show the face of Christ. Known by locals as Veronica's Veil, the cloth measuring 9.5 by 6.5 inches is said to have been used by St. Veronica to wipe Jesus' brow on his walk to the cross. I thought he was walking with the cross. I don't know, this says on his walk to the cross. Maybe, maybe it was before he picked up the cross. I don't know. Uh, it later, I'll have to clarify that. Maybe somebody can clarify that for us. Uh, it later assumed Jesus' image showing a man, eyes open with a beard and a mustache. The next line says, The history of the icon is sketchy. Nothing is known about the whereabouts of it after Christ's crucifixion, but it is said to have been taken to Rome in 1297, blah, blah, blah. All right, so nobody knows, but here's uh, a story that's right in the same uh, page that's associated with it, and it says, Holy Toast, sandwich sells for 15,000 pounds. And then we have a heavenly chocolate uh, of an image of the Virgin Mary. So, wonderful company for that story. And the Pope, of course, is going to go there and uh, you know take a look and decide what he thinks about it. I'm sure that'll be a, a real valid uh, position, whatever he decides. All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Live, uh, well, not live, but independent. I'm live, certainly, but uh, the music you're going to hear is recorded music from Italy. The Wimshurst Machine, the song is called Mystic Science, the first time I've heard it on the air. So enjoy it. It's Mike, you're listening to Radio Orbit. On the web, www.mikehagen.com.
Right, that's Mystic Science, the Wimshurst Machine. You're listening to it on Radio Orbit, KOPN Columbia, 89.5 FM. It's Mike, and it's about 1.35 in the a.m. on Tuesday, the 22nd of August. And we're all still here, Larry. And I still got to go to work in six hours. All right, so let's see. What else do we want to talk about here? Uh, James Arthur. I'd like to mention uh, that, that Edgar brings up James Arthur uh, in the chat room there. And, yeah, he was an amazing guy. James Arthur... Uh, wrote one book that really, to me, was uh, sort of his crowning achievement, and it was uh, called Mankind and Mushrooms. And he was a pretty profound dude, and it was a real simple little book, and it's available out there on the web. If you're interested in buying it, you can get it at Amazon for a buck or something like that used. Uh, interestingly, uh, he was murdered just a couple of years ago. Um, and it was a real strange story. And in fact, I, I, I don't wanna really want to speak to it because I don't know what the results of it were. I think it's still sort of mysterious. It was supposed to be that his girlfriend stabbed him to death or something, but very strange story. And anyway, James Arthur, uh, regardless of how he left the world, he left a great book and uh, uh, a very interesting website uh, behind him. And I think that his website is still... Uh, up and running. Maybe one of you guys can go over there and take a look at it. I think it was just jamesarthur.net, if I remember correctly. But anyway, Mankind and Mush or Mushrooms and Mankind was the name of that book, and it was amazing. And he talked primarily about the Amanita, uh, if I remember correctly. But but he had interest in you know many of the different um, strains of psychedelic mushrooms for sure, and recognized the connection between them and basically all of the quote-unquote, big religions. So, interesting stuff. Just a matter of, you know, everything's interesting. It just depends on how close you look at it. But certain things are more interesting than others. That's for sure. All right, what else uh, we want to talk about here? I did try to get Kent, but he... Uh, I got a message that said, if, if, if we don't pick up the phone, it means that we're either not home or the baby is sleeping. <laughs> so, I have a feeling that the baby is sleeping. And that's why we can't get Kent. So we'll just finish up the show here. We've got about 15 more minutes, and I'll come up with a few things to talk about. The, um, uh, the idea of alchemy is related to this whole mushroom thing, actually. And it's actually related to the Amanita in, in an interesting way. You know, in Siberia and in the northern latitudes, the Amanita is a mushroom that grows, and it's the primary shamanic plant or you know the mushroom's not officially a plant but for you know for purposes of our conversation that's what we're going to call it all right uh hold on we got a phone call though and we won't let the, leave this person hanging so we'll just uh continue that conversation in just a moment hold on a second here hi this is mike here on orbit who's this uh it's uh nick from moberly oh hey nick how's it going oh pretty good you not bad thanks for calling what's on your mind I didn't quite catch that uh, HIV thing you mentioned earlier, a connection mm -hmm. to to what? Well, uh, I'll read this, the skinny to you here. Uh, uh, this is uh, Tuesday, October 18th, uh, 2005. In a groundbreaking study, the Journal of Nanotechnology has published a study that found silver nanoparticles kill HIV-1 
and is likely to kill virtually any other virus. The study, which was conducted by the University of Texas and Mexico University, is the first medical study to ever explore the benefits of silver, uh, uh, silver nanoparticles, according to the paper. So what it means is that small particles of silver introduced into an environment that includes viruses, including the HIV virus and malaria, the bug uh, that causes malaria, which I talked about as well, uh, are killed by this particular concoction. And it's an amazing thing, actually. It's, it's an astonishing article, and it should, like I say, it should be, uh, if not four-inch headlines, people should be discussing it, because, you know, this is peer-reviewed medical journal, basically, that's saying this. And it, this was over a year ago, and, and I've, I've approached many people in the AIDS community, and... Uh, people that are supposed to be interested in eliminating malaria from the planet and all kinds of big institutions and fancy people. And so far, nobody has responded to me. And I send them everything. I mean, I'm, they should have the information. If I've got the information, they certainly should, you know. I, I mean, if they're paying attention to their own field. Well, it's kind of a deal where the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies are making money off all these drugs, you know, and if there's a natural cure for it, of course, they're not going to want the uh, the public to know about it. But that brings to mind a different kind of a question. See, I've used colloidal silver mm-hmm. for spider bites and burns. And yeah, it's great for burns on, on uh, as a topical solution. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Really good. Mm-hmm. Do you know about the company that makes it in sturgeon? Sturgeon, Missouri? Yeah, there's a company that produces it in Sturgeon. No, I was unaware of that. I don't know the name of the company, but Lefty's Amish store was selling it. But they switched to a new company. All right, I I just made a note. I'm going to find out who they are. All right. Yeah, interesting, because uh, my, my story with colloidal silver was one... Uh, that I was introduced to it many years ago. I had an old dog, a Labrador Retriever, who got uh, a, a nasty cancer on one of his paws. And he, uh, I took him to the vet. He was 10 years old, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, the solution that the vet had for me was to chop off his paw, right? What? Yeah, he wanted to cut. So we, well, well, the only way we can do it is we have to cut off his paw and then we'll put him on some drugs or whatever and see if we can keep him alive for a little while. Otherwise, he's going to die real soon, right? Because mm. uh, it said it was bone cancer and all this stuff. So I said, well, I don't think... I said, thanks, but no thanks. You're not going to cut off my dog's paw, right? Yeah. A- and uh, anyway, I was desperate, and I didn't know what to do, And but I was just getting familiar with the, the Internet, believe it or not, and, and, and uh, uh, my friend Edgar will love this, but it ties into a group that was called the Novelty Group that was an early web uh, discussion forum that... Uh, that was primarily talking about the, the teachings and writings of a guy whose name was Terrence McKenna, who was a friend of mine and somebody who I uh, talk about a lot on the program. But anyway, there was an old guy there uh, who lives in Vermont, and his name is Phil. And I posted you know, my, my message up on the forum and said, Hey, you guys out there, do any of you have any idea of what I might do to help my dog? You know, And this guy said, Hey, try colloidal silver. Put some colloidal silver in his water every day. You know what I mean? And uh, I didn't know what the hell colloidal silver was at the time. And he sent me this he sent me this position paper on it that was like a 30-page Microsoft Word 
a document and it was written by a guy who was completely unbiased and was just trying to look at you know the historical and the clinical uh, evidence you know and uh sure enough i tried it and my dog lived my dog never went to see the veterinarian again by the way and he died when he was 16 he lived for six more years and and as a pretty well functioning dog you know what i mean and um you know he got old like any 16 year old labrador did but colloidal silver kept him alive i'm certain of it and and then i the more i learned about it then i began to you know uh use it my own, you know in my own life and my family i you know with my own sort of health maintenance or whatever so well anyway i think i just lost uh, uh our friend there from Oberly, but uh, thanks very much for the phone call and i appreciate it all right, it's Mike, and it's Radio Orbit. Give me a call back, or anybody else, you're welcome to give us a call. The number is 573-443-8255. And uh, that goes for anybody else out there on the web as well, okay? All right, let's see. What else we got to say here? Uh, <laughs> all right. No, I think we're going to leave that stuff alone on the forum for now. So, okay, I'll tell you what. Um, let me just talk for a few minutes about some of this stuff. Oh, got that phone call coming back, or somebody else. So let's uh, take another phone call here. Or say hello again uh, to our friend from Mobile. Hello, who's this? Uh, yes, sir. This is Nick from Mobile. I, I did lose you. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. But uh, anyway, we're back. So uh, yeah. what else? Uh, so, yeah, colloidal silver, uh, colloidal silver, certainly something that for me has been really beneficial. And, you know, everybody's different. But I thought I, I, I find, you know, it has to be the right stuff. And it has to be made in the right fact. You know, you can make it yourself. And some people make it themselves. But I think that the... Um, the important thing about this particular article uh, and and uh, scientific paper that came out a year ago was that uh, the size of the particle is the is is sort of the 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 really important component of this thing and and the better that they're getting at uh, controlling the size of the silver particle in solution the better the more effective it is and so the good the good makers of colloidal silver will have uh, you know, a particle size that ranges between 1 and 10 nanometers or something like that. And um, so I think that's what people should be looking at. And that's, you know, that's just information that's coming from the scientists. You know, I'm just, I'm just relaying the message. So anyway, it's interesting and it should be, uh, should be looked into. So anyway, what else uh, is going on, May? Well, yeah, colloidal silver has been a, a great uh, benefit to me, too. I'm thoroughly convinced that... Uh, on our planet, from nature, there is everything we need to cure any ailment. Here, here. We do not need any pharmaceuticals and man-made chemicals, and it's, it causes other side effects, and it's, it isn't any good. I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more, and. Um uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to say goodbye, and I'll finish off, though, with uh, with that thought, okay? And if you, if, if you listen in, I'll, I'll share something with you, okay? All right. Thank you very much for your call, and thanks for listening to the show, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right. Take care of yourself. You too. The reason that I, I do that, you guys, is because Stephen Buhner, of course, comes to mind. Stephen Herod Buhner, you know, and he's about as accomplished an herbalist as exists out there, and he knows the plants, uh uh, and the organisms that exist out there, and he's very, very good at finding out what they, uh, what they can help mitigate. The interesting one with Stephen recently is Lyme disease, 
and he's made the very interesting discovery that wherever Lyme disease pops up, Japanese knotweed seems to pop up too. And Japanese knotweed is considered an invader species in many of the places where it shows up. And people who don't have a, a good enough understanding about how these things work are actually trying to eliminate it from the environment, you know, because it's an invader species. Well, interestingly enough, Japanese knotweed will mitigate Lyme disease. And Japanese knotweed is following Lyme disease around this country. And Steve is documenting it, Stephen Buner. And he's been on the program a couple times. We actually talked a little bit about this at the end of the last program we did with uh, Stephen Herod Buner and Dr. Dennis McKenna. And the message of the plants and the message of the natural world is, in my opinion, a message of intelligence and a mess- an offering of partnership. And for those who are open enough and wise enough to recognize it, the earth is abundant and scarcity is manufactured and scarcity is falsely manufactured because the earth is abundant. And as our listener in Moberly points out very wisely, that the earth can provide for for everything that we need. It's just a matter of knowing it. You have to learn about it. You have to create a relationship with the planet and with the other creatures that live on it. And the better you get at that, the better you will be off, you know, when the flash hits. Because, now this is just me talking, you know, I mean, just my opinion. And and all of your opinions are just as valid as mine. You know, I don't have any lock on the truth. And nobody else does either. But for me... You know, it sure seems like something's going to give. And it's very possible, you know, that it will be an environmental thing or that it will be a biological thing. And there will always be those that survive. And it's an interesting question um, how that's determined. Is it just random or is it not? You know, the one thing that the Earth is pushing the one evolutionary constant is intelligence. That's what's being pushed on this planet. Intelligence. Not strength and viciousness, but intelligence. And the next step, you know, is going to be taken by the smartest and most well-prepared for whatever the environmental changes that are going to become present. And... Like I said earlier in the show, you know, it's a matter of where you place your bets. You know, if you think that the world of materialism and consumer capitalism is one that is going to lead to a happy and sustainable future, then put your bets there. You know, keep going to work, put the suit on, do your thing, and and do whatever you got to do, and maintain a separation from the natural world. And if you have other thoughts, you know, you can, you can make that connection. You can reestablish, you know, your birthright to, you know, communicate with the planet and with nature and with the other creatures that live here on this planet that we share it with. One of our biggest issues is this anthropocentrism where we just can't get over the fact 
that, you know, we talk and that we think. And so, therefore, nothing else does. And the only creatures worthy of relationships with us are other humans. We have no interest in relationships, for the most part, with other species. Well, for those who decide the opposite of that, for those who decide that it does make sense to learn about and establish relationships with other species, with symbiotic species, species that bring things to the table, if you bring things to the table, well, then you place your bets there. And, you know, you spin the wheel. I'm going to Vegas, as a matter of fact, on Thursday. So, wish me luck. All right? We'll see if there are any safe places there. But, you spin the wheel, they drop the ball, and you find out where it lands. We're going to find out soon enough, folks. All right? It's Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. It's KOPN Columbia. Thanks to everybody for listening to the show. We'll be back again next week, and we will do it again. We'll have John Major Jenkins with us for a full two hours, and the first hour we'll do our thing as we always do. In the meantime, we will finish things up with some new music that I got in the mail just last week. The band is called Astrolab, and it's from the United Kingdom over there in Britain, and I appreciate it, and I thank the band and the people uh, who listen to the show who heard me request music, that they uh, got it together and sent it to me here. So here it is, Astrolab. We'll play more of it uh, in the future, okay? All right, it's Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Thanks for being with me, everybody on the web. I appreciate your, uh, uh, your input and your communication. And it's a thrill to be able to talk with you online like this when we're doing the show. Thanks to everybody who called in and sent emails. And I'll be with you uh, again next week with John Major Jenkins, all right? Stick around. We'll have some good music coming up for sure in just a few minutes from, uh, I'm not sure if Yvonne will be here uh, or if it'll be Isaac, but uh, it'll be good either way, all right? So one more time on the web, you can find me at MikeHagan, H-A-G-A-N.com, and you can always find KOPN there as well, www.kopn.org. Have a great week. We'll talk to you in it.
Thank you.